The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out cybionicscgm.com. How's it going? It's Owen here, and this is a bite-sized episode of the Insulone Podcast, Redefining Diabetes. Every week, we'll dip back into the episode archive and get you to think and reflect once more about some of the things we've learned from the podcast over the last few years. It could be some diabetic wisdom, advice, a great guest, or even a hypo story. So enjoy this bite-sized episode of the Insulone Podcast. I had to find ways, especially when Benny was tiny, of just having lighter moments and letting myself laugh which I think really helped over the years in some more serious situations to, you know, if you can talk about it, if you can laugh about it, then you can kind of work your way through it. And I didn't realize that until, you know, we were in the, in the mire of those early days. Um, one of the things that just made me laugh so much was, um, when Benny was tiny, he used to pretend that his stuffed animals had diabetes and he had an Elmo. And it was so funny to watch him, you know, check his blood sugar, pretend, you know, do all this stuff. And Elmo never needed an injection. He always needed a juice box. He was always low. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so funny. You know, there were a lot of situations like that where most of the time it was stuff where I wanted to cry. I mean, you know, he wouldn't want to change his pump inset because he was scared of the noise or it hurt. And it was, it was emotional, right? It was very tough as a parent. So we would try to find funny ways, you know, when he was small enough, my husband would hold him upside down. and We would do it, you know, crazy things, whatever he wanted. So I, I've learned that I've learned that I'm, I'm really strong. Um, I've, I've learned that I, I can be okay with worrying about my son. And, you know, I worry about my daughter too without diabetes. She's in college now, very far away from home when she's in school. I've learned that I'm okay worrying about them, but letting them go. Um, And that's very, very hard. And, you know, my son just got back from a month in Israel. He was gone for more than 30 days with a camp group that he's been part of since he was nine years old. But this is a non-diabetes camp. And I was worried every single day. I didn't talk about it on social media. I didn't post about it. Close friends knew, but I was too superstitious to say anything or share fun pictures or anything like that until he was home. And I, I'm not sure that if I went back to Stacy in 2006, that I would believe that I would have the strength to let my son go. And that's what it is. You have to be strong enough to let them go. You have to give them the gift of you worrying about them. That's what being a parent is. I don't know why. Oh, and I don't know why any of us had children because all we do is worry (laughs) about them. All we do is worry. Diabetes or not. 
Yeah, it's funny. I, <laughs> I've had numerous conversations with my own parents about <laughs> how I have two older brothers. So we're obviously not children anymore. But my parents <laughs> always say, when you have kids, you never stop having children. No matter, no matter how yeah. old we are, there will always be something to worry about. Yeah, there's no finish line, which is great and also terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so you've already been through your... I suppose your initial diabetes journey since Benny had been diagnosed in 2006. Yeah. You now have a very successful podcast, which you started in 2015. What was your initial motivation for that? Oh, you know, the podcast was interesting. I'm a big podcast listener and I have been for many years, Um, you know, since the days when you needed your iPod and you'd plug it into the computer, right, to get the shows. Um, But when... um, before I started Diabetes Connections, I listened to a lot of diabetes podcasts. And there are there are there were a lot then, there are a lot now, and most of them are wonderful. But most of them are like yours. They are adults sharing their stories, talking to other people. There there wasn't the one that I really wanted to hear at the time. My background is in broadcast journalism. I was a radio show host for many years. I was a TV reporter for many years focusing on health. And I wanted more of a newsy type show. So that's why I started Diabetes Connections. And frankly, I was a little intimidated because I didn't know what I was doing. The technical side, the the talking side was fine, but the production was really scary. But once I got through that, I really wanted to interview, you know, tech companies and um, other, other, you know, people living with diabetes, but more of what you would might hear if you listen to a a talk radio station or a magazine show on television. And that's why I started. I did not want to tell a lot of personal stories about Benny, about me. Um, you know, there's there are already enough people doing that. And also, I've always been a little uncomfortable sharing a ton of his information. That's why I wasn't a very good parent blogger. I have a blog for many years that I think three people read because I wouldn't <laughs> share anything. As you've, I've said, I don't share his numbers. You know, I don't share a lot. The book is the biggest bunch of stories that I've ever told. And he and I sat down together and went through it and made sure it was okay to talk about. But that's why I started the podcast. And it's been really rewarding to me. Um, selfishly, I've just learned so much. And um, I hope people enjoy it. It's been great fun. But that's, you know, when I'm talking to some companies, and I'm able to do some follow-up questions and really kind of try to hold their feet to the fire. I mean, most of these people don't answer the questions that we want to know, but we try. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's pretty much why I did it. Do you feel that your life as a parent of a type 1 diabetic and Benny's life benefited from the fact that you had a podcast, benefited from the fact that you were speaking to these people all the time and you were you were probably learning so much so quickly about diabetes? Yeah, absolutely. Hands down. I learned a lot. Um, you know, Untethered isn't something I learned from the podcast per se, but it's something I learned because I was connected to a person through the podcast and they told me they had done it with their teenager. Um, yes, I feel like I have learned so much that has helped him in terms of, you know, not just management style, but ways to use technology, what's coming. Um, you know, it's it's really been as I said, pretty selfishly, I, I learn about everything in advance. You know, it's interesting. I, I get asked a lot like, oh, do you get all your stuff for free? Do you get all your supplies for free? And I purposefully do not. Um, we, I do take sponsorships on the show. I'm very open. I do a ton of disclosing on the show, which I think is really important. But I do not get diabetes supplies for Benny for free. My feeling is if something goes wrong, 
or I feel like changing quickly, or he feels like changing quickly, more importantly, um, I don't want to be beholden to any of these companies. So we're not part of any of those programs and we don't take diabetes stuff for free. Every once in a while, someone will send me something to review and I will disclose that. But for the most part, I, I just don't work that way. Mm. You've had some amazing guests on as well. And <laughs> what's so good about it is, and you say yourself, in inverted commas, everyday type one diabetics who inevitably have so many interesting stories and so many people who do amazing things. But is there any one story, experience, or piece of advice that someone told you or spoke about on the podcast that has stuck with you since? Oh, there are so many. There are so many. But two really, really, really stand out. Um, wait, I'm going to add another one. There were three. No, we'll go two. All right, we'll <laughs> More do the better. Okay. All right. Sorry. So <laughs> <laughs> um, the first one is Ernie Prado, who works at NASA. He is a literal rocket scientist, and he's been at NASA for several years. And he came on to tell me his story. He struggled with diabetes when he was in college, struggled to the point where he shared on the show that he did not check his blood sugar for probably two years. He gave himself insulin, but he never checked. Whoa. And, you know, his A1Cs were all over the place and, you know, it was very high and he was fulfilling the dream of working at NASA. But the reason I share that, and he got it together actually, because he was denied an opportunity at work. Uh, they said, this is too dangerous for you to do. And he thought to himself, gosh, I've really got to turn this around. You know, his A1C was too high to do the, the technical thing they wanted him to do. But I share that because here's a guy who's got his life together, right? Super successful. And yet he struggled and he shared that part of his struggle. And I thought, wow, this is such a show of strength to share that first of all. And who hasn't struggled, right? So that was wonderful for me. That has stuck with me for years and years. Um, the other one of three, uh, Dr. Bill Polanski, uh, who is an amazing, I think he's a psychiatrist, he might be a psychologist, uh, with the Diabetes Behavioral Institute. And he talks about the mental health burden all the time. But we did an episode called Evidence-Based Hope. And I, I'm sorry, Owen, I start talking really fast when I get excited. You're going to have to slow this down. No, please, please. I'm still with you. I'm still with you. <laughs> okay. So he did an episode with me called Evidence-Based Hope. And that was all about why we don't hear better news from studies about people with type 1 diabetes. And he laid out how much better it is getting. And he laid out these studies, you know, we've most of us know about the, uh, you know, DCCT trials from way back in the day, but there's another trial called EDICT, E-D-I-C, that was completed in 2009. And basically, these studies are showing that if you can get your A1C to a, a range that's, you know, 7, 7.5, which is much higher than a lot of people in the community think is acceptable these days that your chances of complications go way down and that it's only getting better, that more management, you know, more education, we're able to use these tools to get A1Cs even lower. But if you look at the actual science, that things are getting much better in terms of complications. And then the last one, and my favorite, was when I talked to Dr. Stephen Ponder several years ago. He is um, a pediatric endocrinologist who lives with type 1. He's lived with it for close to 55 years now. He um, is the author of Sugar Surfing. He's got a big following for, for that kind of technique of managing blood glucose. But I asked him, what is the biggest indicator? Because he has seen and treated families for years and years and years. You know, how do you know somebody's going to do a, quote, good job with diabetes? How do you know a family is going to have a good outcome and have a healthy kid? 
And I thought he was going to say like sugar surfing or you need to get on an insulin pump right away or you need a CGM. And what he said was, I can always tell because it's the family that supports the person with diabetes. Whatever that means to that family, when they love and support them, you know, when they rally around them and say, we're here to help, what can we do? That's the family that's going to be fine. That's the kid that's going to grow up healthy. Doesn't matter what technology they use. And I thought that was so interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky to have grown up in a house that was supportive of me. And I hopefully am raising my children with love and support. But when you think about all of these worried parents who feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not doing right by my child. I'm the worst for real. You know, oh my gosh, his A1C peaked up to eight for a couple of months. Oh my God. When you sit back and think, it really sounds silly. You just need to love your child and support them. But that's really where it all starts. And if an endocrinologist who's seen thousands and thousands of families comes up with that advice and that conclusion, then I'm going to take it very seriously. So I could go on. I have so many. I mean, this community, you know, is amazing. People have such great things to say. I could listen to you tell that story all day. <laughs> so yeah, really, really beautifully put, but also so reassuring for anybody out yes. there who is kind of new to this diabetic life of yes. the fundamentals of being happy and managing your life and managing your diabetes are that support system. And that's yeah. just the idea of we're in this together. Yeah. And we can face anything that we need to face, which is which is the most important thing. Thanks for listening to this bite-sized episode of the Insulin Podcast. And if you want to listen to the full episode, you can check it out in the description. Chat to you soon.